Yeah, it's Buku One here. One thing I know, every good podcast deserves its own theme song. Oh, for sure. And this one most definitely deserves its own theme song. We changing the game on the name, put respect Uncle Dad talks, yeah, live and direct What did you expect from the two fly guys? One love Kevin Smith, one or more is golden eye Mike's the level-headed, baby Gabe edits Uncle Dad gets nervous all the time, but to his credit, he's clever Spring stuff on Mike on a daily And can mangle up a name amazingly The range of events and topics makes it hard to stop listening So why even attempt it? From bare knuckle fighting, to Grammy songwriting To Burning Man flames, to firefighter video games And many, many more than I could put in a verse Just subscribe, tune in to Uncle Dad's Multiverse And many, many more than I could put in one verse Just subscribe, tune in to Uncle Dad's Multiverse you heard it first here. Show did. Tion Buku One, aka Mr. Generous, live and direct. All right, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Uncle Dad Talks. This week's episode is pretty special, not only because I'm joined by Mike, just Mike, and it's always special when I'm joined by him, but we are back at GDC 2023. Yay! <laughs> How does that feel to be back? Um, I'm still in my feels. We'll, we'll see. Well, I, I think what we need to do is uh, maybe maybe what we can find out is if there's a program here that can create an AI co-host and then you don't have to work. I'm sure that's on the way. I'm sure it's happening, right? I mean, there's AI art, there's AI music, there's AI programs that will write your stories for you. There's AI gaming now. And there's AI gaming. Which will test the game for you using AI. All right. Well, so... So then it would only be obvious that at some point you will have an AI co-host. <laughs> an AI co-host and an AI host. Well, we both don't got to work anymore. You don't have to do anything. Which I don't know, actually doesn't sound like a bad idea. <laughs> yep. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so we're back at GDC uh, for the second year. Uh, this is, I would say, probably the first year that it's fully open. Uh, it's uh, Last time I think there were some restrictions, uh, but we're in beautiful, our home of San Francisco. And uh, yeah, it's definitely busier than last year so far. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, another year removed from pandemic and, and things are things are roaring. Absolutely. Now, we're going to speak to somebody who has a very uh, special cause on their plate. I think uh, one of the things we all can agree is that climate change is important. And if you don't think it's real, well, I don't know if you should be listening then. <laughs> Maybe an AI thing will tell you that it's real. And then you'll, and then you'll believe it. Right, so right. I like that's what you think there. Chat GPT will tell you it's real. There you go. Uh, yeah, so we are going to speak to somebody um, about climate change and what they're using, how they're using VR to create that awareness about climate change and how it truly affects uh, all of us. So we'll be right back with that interview. Any last words, Mike? Yay. <laughs> the excitement is with Mike today. All right, so before we prepare for our, our interview with Rose, uh, we were actually going to check out the the little VR project they got going on, and we're with the developer himself, Mitch. Mitch, how are you? Good, man. Good, man. Good to be here. Are you uh, Can you tell us about what our my co-host here, Mike, is playing and what he's doing in this VR experience? So the beginning of the story is you're in a storage unit. Basically, the idea is that the initiative for climate change basically was scrapped and just stored in a, a garage somewhere and you stumble upon this machine that 
people that had the, that were working towards the initiative had built in order to transport the user into different areas around the world so that basically with that information they could come back and fix whatever went wrong right um, in this experience or in the beginning of the experience there's only one drone that's left that is activated when you step on the platform and that drone is basically your companion throughout the whole experience it's going to teach you how to use the machine where to look what the mission is and it's just holding your hand through the whole experience in order for you to you know just kind of take in what's happening and instead of focusing on what to do you're just there for the ride so very much like a like, a, like literally ex an experience right like a way to experience the reality of what we're kind of dealing with yeah uh, now you are the only developer on this yeah yeah the only one now did you come up with the whole entire concept yourself or was it a partnership with the Atlantic Council like how did that all come through yeah I mean like they they basically reached out and they said hey look we have this initiative it's for it's for this, it's for future world leaders. We need an experience to be able to influence or, or at least make them see what is happening in the world and what policies they can choose to better the world, essentially. Um, obviously, everything has its, its consequences, so we need to show them what those consequences are, um, especially in a future setting. So that was basically the information that they gave me. And I took a look at what currently existed in the world, what the VR experiences were, what the style was, what the delivery was. And honestly, it's, I feel like there needs to be more innovation in the way that we deliver this information, especially in a VR experience like this, right? So I took the initiative to just create a whole narrative um, that basically is the story that guides you through all of these locations throughout the world um, to be able to basically tie it together and it's not just a whole gloom story of like the world is on fire and here fix it for us it could easily become that right exactly and that's the problem that's the problem that i see with a lot of vr experiences that it's just like here's the problem fix it and, and instead of just like no like here's the problem but let me guide you through this experience and 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 just show you like in a more empathy um, with more empathy yeah can, right yeah just to, to bring that out in people obviously everyone thinks differently and one experience isn't going to work for the majority of the people but our hope is to at least be able to bring that out in people with the, an experience like this i love that man it's it's interesting too because i feel like some developers don't want to talk about stuff like this right? right and let me ask you this you know it, you know from what you have kind of learned during this process what what do you think is something we could really do to change climate well i really think it just it really comes to everyone's personal their mind right like you we really have to dig deep into our own in our own self because that's that's really where all the problems start like everyone has their own you know we all have our own backgrounds we all grew up with our own set of traumas that we we grew up experiencing so that obviously adds layers of complexity to how we experience or how we express ourselves in this world um so honestly the first thing I feel like we, the way that we need to attack it is to address how we communicate with ourselves, how we're feeling, and then after that, then we can start paying attention to how, how, what the world is, and we'll realize, not to sound too hippie, but we're all in this together, you know? We're all really in this together. You know, we are, there's different statuses in this world, you know, the, the range is enormous, but... As soon as, as soon as we realize that we are all in this together, yeah, we might 
not have the impact that we want to in before we die. Like this is going to take years, generations to fix. But honestly, I don't think there's anything that we need to fix. I think it's just something that we need to manage because at the end of the day, if we were to all just disappear off the face of the earth, nature will fix itself by itself. It's not going to need our assistance to be able to fix itself, right? Like all we need to do is better manage how we interact with nature because we are nature. You know, nature's gonna fix. This, I love this, just so you know, because so it with uh, I'm Kyle here, Mike. Uh, he's very big into that world as well, right. like nature and connectivity and stuff. You know, and he always says, like at the end of the day, when no, no matter what happens, the only thing that's always going to be constant is nature, right? And so it's great that you have those feelings. And I also want to say uh, it's great seeing, um, you know, just somebody passionate about what they do right. and work on a, on a bigger cause. Now, I'm sure like it'd be great to work on like a AAA game one day, right? Well, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like I come from AAA. Oh, yeah? Let's hear about that. So basically, I used to work at Electronic Arts. I spent six years, basically my first industry job. That's, that's where I got my start. Um, but I eventually got to a point where I felt like I wasn't growing as an artist. You know, I felt constrained in the sense that I couldn't express myself to my full potential working under, you know, a, a AAA studio. So at least for me and my personal experience, I thought it would be best that I just give in my resignation and then start chasing my passion because, you know, time is really limited. You don't really realize how much time you really have, you know, until you really like take a like pause your life, which I feel like not many people do It's take a pause and take a tally of what they've done, where they are in their life. Is that the life they want to continue living? Is it worth it? You know, all these things. And that's part of working on yourself. That's why it's so important. These are the realizations that you have. So once I quit my job, I decided to do VR experiences. I was lucky enough to surround myself by people that had the opportunities for me. And, you know, once you get that opportunity, you just run with it. You know, you don't, you don't, that's the luck that people talk about. It's the opportunity, yeah. being prepared meets opportunity. And yeah. that's, that's kind of what happened. Obviously, the pandemic was a real helper for me because, <laughs> you know, when I was working at EA, um, there was a need to, you know, I was very passionate on being able to improve the tools that we had. And so what did I have? I had my VR headset and I had Unreal. I had this, this desire to learn Unreal. And what I did was I built a camera system for, to, to make some, some cameras using VR. Um, that kind of kick-started my VR experience. And two years later, now we're presenting at GDC. Now we're here. Wow. Uh, Mike has just finished. Mike, really quickly, how was that like? What was that like? Um, very, very interesting and also freaky what, what it looks like will happen uh, in the future with uh if we don't make some make some moves wow yeah. well uh mitch it was absolute pleasure talking to you seriously thank you so much uh your, your work I'm, I'm so excited to see you do that man i also have to ask you you're you're a latino right yes dude we need more latinx developers that's all i gotta say so awesome Th thank you for representing man thank you uh, all right uh let's go talk to rose and let's kind of get a little more nitty-gritty all right we are back uh mike you just got done doing some VR. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm still in post-VR mind. <laughs> post-VR mind. Now you're in reality mind, yes. Uh, we are with uh, the uh, program director, correct? I am the director of strategic initiatives and partnerships for the AGNR Schrockefeller Foundation Resilience Center, yes. And we are with Rosemary Mann. That's right. 
out. Let's talk about this. Well, first, let's talk about what you do, and let's talk about what you guys are doing about climate change. Okay, great. So at the Resilience Center, we believe that climate change is here and now already, and that we have to teach people to adapt to the existing climate and to what's going to happen in the future. And also, in order to be resilient, we feel that you have to have all the skills and knowledge to protect yourselves, your family, your livelihoods, your community. Uh, so we do two different things. We focus on heat as far as our climate change focus, uh, and we try to protect people Heat is the silent killer. Most people don't know that. Uh, more people die from heat exposure than any other climate challenge out there, like more than hurricanes, more than tornadoes. Um, and they, they, they die because of organ failure, heat stroke. So health-wise, focusing on heat really does help people um, survive. And as long as they know what's happening to themselves, we can give them the critical information to protect them from, from all of the things that happen with extreme heat. And then we take our extreme heat initiative and all of this data-driven information and we deploy that through games. And this has been such an amazing opportunity to be here at GDC because we talk to the game developers about how do you build climate content that will resonate with players and that will actually teach people how to protect themselves, right? And so the best thing about the game industry and the, and the players is that there's 3.5 billion of them. Right, there is not another industry that we can go to where there are that many people in one place. And they're playing every single day in every geography in the world. Almost 50% of them are female. And it, we feel like this is our responsibility to be able to use this, this initiative responsibly, to be able to look at it and be able to measure our effectiveness and also to be able to take action. And where we're very much interested at this point in the initiative is to go from, you're playing in the game and how do you rise, right? The, the way you rise through the different levels of whatever game you're playing, how is that information staying with you? And then how do you use it for action on the ground? Yeah, I love that because I feel like with any game, right, it's always about that retention, right? Like, how does it make you feel after, right? And very few games can achieve that. And when you can achieve that, it, it changes the way you think about games. I'll, I'll give a quick example. I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with the game Bioshock, but Bioshock does that where it makes you, at the end of it, you challenge the way you even look at the way of life. Like, it makes you think, okay, am I doing this based upon free will or am I doing this based upon what society believes me to do? So I love that for sure. Now, talking about your, the VR program here, Mike just got here done playing it. So I want you to talk to her about that and that whole experience. Yeah, so the experience was, well, it's interesting. I, I think the way it's put together, it's, it's, it's easy to navigate, but also it's slightly terrifying because you, know, you, you, you pick on this, this globe Different, different areas of the world to go to. And I was in Miami, and you know, I've been to Miami. It's beautiful, it's, it's, it's definitely warm. But uh, the Miami I first visited was uh, covered in water in, in a nasty storm. And you know, standing in that, it, it, you know, it feels terrifying. And like, but this, is, but this is actually where we're going. And you know, I'll mention another thing in a moment about that, but, but also, not all doom and gloom. At the end, you know, you can make some choices that show you what the Miami would be like, you know, if there are some, some changes made for, towards climate change. 
and, the, and, it's, and it's beautiful. And so, you know, there's, a, there's a, a character in there that says some things to you that make you feel like there's hope and you can make a difference. But it does, it does actually cause feelings. You know, being immersed in it in that way and not just watching it on a TV screen or on your phone, you know, another informative video. When you're inside of it and interacting with it, it definitely has a different feeling, for sure. So I'm just curious, uh, when we talk about your, uh, the, the, you're, bringing up, you're bringing up a great fact about the, the development of that game. Can we talk about the development of that? About the development of the VR yes. experience. Yeah. So, so we basically um, thought about looking at future technologies to use for better climate change decision making. So this is for decision makers, all kinds of decision makers, policy makers, corporate leaders, people who actually make decisions about how the world will change depending on choosing one decision or the other. And uh, we thought the best way to do that would be to immerse a leader into a VR experience where they are the decision maker and they get to see the outcomes of those decisions. And when you get to see the outcomes of your decisions, what we are hoping and what we've seen in the, some of the testing that we've done, we've taken this to COP27, it's, going, it's been to India, uh, we're taking it to the Insurance Development Forum meetings. Um, we wanna build this empathy, we wanna build fear and anger uh, we want to build those emotions that, that no matter what, will force someone to make the changes that need to happen. I love that. So basically, everything he felt was what you wanted. Exactly. It's everything you felt is exactly what we wanted. This is exactly what we need to hear. And we we traveled just to test this prototype because, at the end of this, we want to be able to raise enough money to build the full experience, and then to be able to implement that experience all over the world to as many leaders as we can get to, and not only build it and immerse it, but then have all the collateral built around it so that a leader doesn't feel alone, so that we have the experts lined up, we have scientists lined up, we have behavior experts all coming together to help make those right choices. I love that. Mike, do you have something you want to add? Oh, I, just, I wish I could see the results of my actions and other things in my life, but, <laughs> but, but, but also right now, you know, it's interesting that, that uh, we're doing this interview with today because yesterday I read this article in the Washington Post about, you know, by the early, by 2030s, it's going to be big changes are happening. And we've been reading this stuff for, I don't know, I remember reading this when I was in high school, that at some point we don't change, it's going to be all bad, to put it dully. And, and so maybe this is the thing that we need to like really get people to understand that this is actually really right around the corner now. It's not oh, it, this is in, in our lifetime, yours and mine and our children's lifetime. I mean, what are we leaving for the next generation? And what are we teaching the next generation about being responsible, being good stewards of the planet? This is so important. And, and the time is now. And, and you are absolutely right. I read the same report yesterday. While I was here, while we were in a workshop with... 60 game developers talking about transformational games and how to include climate content in there. And we all sort of looked at each other and said, it's right now and we're all gonna live it. How do we do, how do we protect the most vulnerable? Because the very first hit that, that will take all of the climate impacts are gonna be the most vulnerable in the world. And we need to do something about that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a, uh 
not to be heavy on the show right now, but it's real stuff. But I think that we need to, you know, hear that and be able to. But this is great because you create that program to get people to be aware of that, and you know, it shows the options that it's not all going to be bad, right? Like if we do the right things. If we do the right thing. There is absolutely hope, but we have to do it now. We have to prepare now. We have to make the right decisions now. And through our gaming initiative, you know, we need to reach people where they are. And, and that's what we're doing at the Arsh Rock Center. That's what we do, uh, and we do it across the board in all the work that we do. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for just taking the time to speak with us and also talking about this amazing project. Uh, where can our audience connect with you, learn more about this? Can They no, they can't access it themselves yet, right? Correct? Uh, the audience, actually, they can go to our website. It's onebillionresilient.org. And all the games that we support are there. Uh, they can play those games. They can take the information from those games and, and put it into their everyday lives. They can tell other people about it. All those things. You go to our website. All of our contact information is there, our email addresses, and we always respond. That's great because sometimes people don't respond. So awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Mike, do you have any last comments or words? Um, yeah, just to say that... Uh, after, after playing the game, say I have feelings that I, I want to do something. So I could go to the website and there's initiatives that I can be a part of, join, help, volunteer for. Absolutely, absolutely. We have programs all over the world. Uh, we are in absolute need of volunteers. We, we need people who can go out and just use their voice to make a difference. We need people to talk about vote the right way, vote for climate change, put people into power that believe in climate change and that are going to do something about that. So yes, if you go to our website, we can we can create so many different um, ideas and, and bring as many people in as possible to deliver these messages. I love that. And what was that website? One last time. OneBillionResilient.org. And it's O-N-E, Billion Resilient. Awesome. Everybody, go check it out. Let's go make a difference. Let's go change. We don't want to see things go bad, right, Mike? Well, we don't want to be, you know, wading around in water in the middle of an intersection in Miami. So, yes. Yeah, I mean... And, and also, and thank you for, for dedicating your life's work to such, such a cause. Because, you know, if we don't have a planet, none of us are going to have a job. So, it's, you know, it's kind of important. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. All right, everybody. Uncle Dad here with Mike. Mike, say hello. Hello, hello. Uh, we got a we got a full house here. We haven't had a full house yet, and I'm excited about this. I have three very lovely gentlemen in front of me, and uh, I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves, what they do, and we're going to talk about a game that I know is getting people very excited. So, from my right to my left, <laughs> uh, let's go that way first. Starting with the least important person here. Okay. Uh, Everybody's important, my friend. Sure, sure. I know. We, we all play our part. Um, I, my name is Nick. Uh, I uh, co-founder at Ad Hoc Studio, and I'm helping uh, these guys make a game. I love it. Uh, my name is Lucas. I'm a developer on this game uh, as well. Uh, so... Um, Okay. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's, uh, uh, my name is Richard. I'm a developer uh, uh, on this game. Nobody wants to say yeah. the name yeah. of this yeah. game. Just, I can reveal yeah. it in a second. Do you want to, yeah, yeah. That, that might be best. Let's okay. leave this one we're building it up. We're, 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 tickling, we're tickling with a feather to, exactly. to build it up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but this game that shall not be named. <laughs> no, we are talking about the return of Cart Life. Uh, how exciting is that for you guys? 
<laughs> I'm still so excited. Excitement in the world. Yeah. I was going to say, sometimes I know, I know you're, there's a lot of anxiety, but I think now that it's out there, feel, people feel better. It's cathartic, yeah we, yeah. we just announced it yesterday. We've been keeping a secret. I've been mostly successful about keeping my trap shut on this thing, but yeah, we can finally be honest and, and, and real with people about what we're doing. Uh, it feels good to be, uh, to get the fresh air and oxygen. It's good to, like, to be able like, to talk about it. I like that, man. Uh, so, you know, the, the game has a crazy story, I feel. Uh, so do you want to kind of tell our audience about that story? I almost kind of want to hear it from you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I'm being interviewed now, huh? <laughs> well, sure. I mean, I, I, to me, it's not crazy because it's, you know, I don't, I don't know, I see it every day, I guess. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, which part of it? I don't know. Yeah. Well, where, I, where do we begin? I, I, that's mm-hmm. the thing. Like it's such, it's so fascinating, right? Like it was there, it was a huge hit, and then it was gone, right? And it's like you know, it's like if all of a sudden the Beatles, you know, yeah, I'm comparing it to the Beatles. Wow. Right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> if the Beatles, you know, made a song and they just left, <laughs> and now everybody's excited for it to come back. So that journey of that, that's what I want to know. Got it. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, um, at the time that it was uh, ten years ago. At the, when this game went through the IGF, um, I've been developing this one grayscale, pixely retail simulator for about four years. It's just a long time to live in this world that is a little bit, you know, on purpose. It's it's a bit grim. It's it's a bit mundane. It's kind of every day. It's a little bit sad, a little bit frustrating. And I had it kind of where I wanted it. I was ready to share. It was incredibly fulfilling. To, to share it here with the world, all these strangers, that people were willing to give it a chance was the biggest affirmation I've ever had in my whole life. Changed my life completely. But I wanted to explore other stuff, of course. Four years in, in that town with these people and these characters was long enough for me back then. Wanted to do other stuff and it didn't seem right to continue charging money for something that I wasn't gonna continue improving. Fixing bugs, there were lots of bugs. Uh, you know, shortcomings, new platforms, lots of questions. It's insanely flattering that people wanted more from it. But I wasn't able to be there for this game at that time. I, I'd just been on it too long. And it was time to, I think, make it free and open source. I learned how to make games from looking at other people's source code and their projects. That was, you know, my attempt to, to kind of share that all from the inside out for other people wanted to make the invitation that, you know, as an outsider, somebody who didn't go to school to make games, somebody who didn't have any job history with game developers or game development in any way, I want to make the invitation to, to everybody else, artists, teachers, nurses, doc, you know, whatever, plumbers, anybody can make a game. Here's how I did it. Now it's your turn. <laughs> Time for me to go. Wow. And uh, so I did other stuff for a so while. So you went. Yeah. Where did you go? <laughs> well, um, into the woods for a little bit. Uh, I was a wildland firefighter for a brief period. Wow. Um, let's see, I was an art teacher and uh, I worked at a pill factory when I got a call from Ad Hoc. I didn't know who Ad Hoc was. I got a direct message from Pierre Chorette. And uh, he included his phone number. He said, this is kind of weird, but I'm going to give you my number. And... I really liked that. I, I, I loved that he was willing to do that. And so I, I doubled down on the weird part. I took it as a good sign. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him back at 4 a.m. So I did. And he called, he called me right back. Like, it was 4.01. And he called back. I was like, oh, my God. And we talked until the sun came up. Uh, you know, um, Ad Hoc is 
composed of some people that I've always admired. They, their work on their games, particularly with regard to storytelling, consequential choices, the ripples, the sort of unexpected consequences, player choices. Nobody does it better than these guys. The idea of working with them was, it was a dream come true. I couldn't say no. It would have been, I think, a pleasure to stay quiet and to let Cart Life be whatever people wanted it to be, but it was always incomplete. I wanted to finish it and make it make it better. And the idea of doing it with these people, I couldn't say no. Wow, that's very beautiful. It's uh, I'm curious to your thoughts really fast because our gentleman here is also he's a, an artist himself, and it, the past sounds very similar sometimes in what you're talking about. What yeah, do you think? I mean, just as. Uh, just as far as like understanding that you have a passion for something that you created and if you can't really give it your all you don't really want to give it give it yeah no i totally get that man and and uh but also how rewarding it feels to have people appreciate something that you created and then to have it brought back with people that you appreciate you know it's just like the karma that within all that is it's is beautiful to hear yeah it, it kind of affirms that you're on the right path for what for what why you're here you know I take that to heart that means a lot I, yeah. I, I, I think that that's something on which that it's it's never worth it to compromise mm-hmm. it's, you know a sacrifice in in that spirit is, is always worthwhile and something like this, I recognize, like, you know, even at getting the chance to, to do it at all, ever, that anybody would ever play this weird game, felt like a miracle. The idea that people that I really admire not only played it, but continued to think about it for this long, mm. and were willing to, to revisit it with me is, I don't know, I, I like... <laughs> Uh, it's, incredible. Yeah, you can't escape it. I don't know. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, so let me ask you this about the game. So that there's three main characters in the game, and they're all they're street vendors, right? Mm-hmm. So were you ever at a point in your life a street vendor? You know, um, I would have, but this game talked me out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I talked to a lot of street vendors uh, when I was first developing this game. Okay. Um, uh, the Sort of the Vinny character, the bagel vendor, started um, in a homework assignment when I was like in the sixth grade about running a small business and stuff. And at my high school, I drew a weekly comic in our high school newspaper about Vinny the Bagel Vendor and stuff. It's just kind of a joke. Um, and this game was originally going to kind of be more of a comedy. But, you know, as I talked to these street vendors, I realized, like, you know, there's a, something about video games and especially about entrepreneurship at the time. Um, in, you know, 2010, 2013, when I was making this game the first time, uh, a lot of people that I knew were shifting from like an office job or a part of a collective into an individual entrepreneurship. So journalists that I knew, when TV stations would close, they'd become freelancers and so on, you know, in other industries too. And it seemed like that seemed like a, a powerful commonality about trying to go into business where your own money, the money that you buy toothpaste with and the money that you buy your own food with and pay rent with is also the money that you're buying your supplies for your business and the fact that that shared pool is sort of indistinguishable becomes fluid that seemed relatable but it's also an odd kind of freedom but that you know money is the same whether it's, it's 
business money or personal money, it's still the dollar in the end, and that's what we all share. It's, something, uh, it's, a, it's a struggle that we all face. Man, hit me with some, some heavy stuff right now. I love it, I love it. <laughs> well, and it's, it's interesting, too, that, that the time that it's coming back out, I think a lot of people during, during the pandemic you know, got lost their job, their corporate job, or quit. Mm-hmm. You know, and decided like I'm gonna do what I really want to do, which, which is kind of great that it's coming out at this time anyway. So, good, good timing on the. Well, it's what's weird. Well, not weird about the game. I think what's impressive about the game is that it is, um, it doesn't feel stale. You know, like everything it sort of addresses and presents to to players is relevant today. Just you know, it's just as much today as it was ten years ago, and. And then even down to the way that the game presents itself and the sort of the the where the difficulty comes from in this game is 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 kind of it's it's asking different things of players that than most games do, right? Different different types of mechanics. It's not it's like mechanically difficult, but it is sort of you know it's the sort of that sort of recreation of, of life's problems and, and having to sort of navigate the world and keep uh, keep your kid in school while you're starting a business, while you're feeding yourself, while you're, you know, making making the bus on time to get places. Like, it's just like a lot of, it. Like we still haven't seen anything really, or I mean, I'm sure there are maybe games out there that I just haven't played, but I just have never experienced that in a game and it should, you know, this game's 10 years old, someone should have already stolen it from Richard. And, you know, like, and, and it, but it says a lot about what the game uh, isn't uh, afraid to be, and um, and I think sort of I, a lot of people's experience with Cart Life, mine very similarly, what is that it's your first interaction with it is it's frustrating, and you're mad that you can't do certain things that you expect all games to do, or like um, pause it, like hitting pause. You can't <laughs> you can't pause the game. Then there's a t- there's a there's a clock that's always running, um, and and life is sort of progressing forward, and you got to just go with it um, and <clears throat> but I think eventually once the the game gets you to that point where you just accept that and you realize that some of these spinning plates are gonna come down and crash on the floor and it's just kind of about what plate are you willing to lose um, that's when that's when it starts to become like something you've never really experienced in the game before and, and, and that's you know what that's why I play games is to find those experiences and it's hard to be um, Successfully subversive and do shit that. Can I swear? I just I you just swear did. all you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's unique. I mean, and it's and it, it was then and it and it is now, and that's why we're we're back. Then when we take the transition from ten years ago to now, did we are are you guys adding anything, changing anything, tweaking anything? What, what does that look like? You want to take this one, Lucas? Yeah, I'll I'll take it. Um, well, here's the thing. I think that. In a lot of ways, if you don't have integrity, if you don't have the feeling like this is what I want to do, this is like the coolest thing that's worth sharing, then it's just not worth doing in the first place. And it's going to be impossible to get done. A really literal port of this game is not something that any of these people would spend their time doing, uh, you know, to the extent to actually finish it. So it's like a necessity that it changes and evolves and gets better, you know. We have to look at every single one of these files and, like, you know, sign our names on it, right, you know. And uh, so it's like, wow, it really would be this much easier to just change the entire way that this uh, works. Everything, I mean... Uh, I don't know if we mentioned it so far, but the game's being t- sort of extracted out of an old engine, um, AGS, right. 
in, in reporting it into Unity, and the act of doing that requires you to like literally take it. You're deconstructing the whole thing. It's like it's like it's like uh, when they like move someone's house or something like they sort of like take pull it apart brick by brick and then just rebuild the this exact same thing. So to most people, it'll look the same or they'll they'll see that it feels different or in certain ways, but. Um, on the dev side, it's like it forces every every time you're looking at something and there's a question to be asked and there's like an evaluation to be had. For sure, you know another part that is it, it's important that these changes in the, this uh, time is like between now and 2013, this decade that's gone by is reflected in the lives of our characters in, in the city that Cartlight takes place into Georgetown. Um, after you, so uh, part of what was missing in the original one, of course, I mean, there were bugs. Some of the endings weren't all the way in there, and so on. There's lots of little and big things that I wanted to change always. But now that I'm here, it's... I think things that players won't really recognize until they share their experience with other players, too. Cartlife changes now depending on which of these three characters you pick first. So if you do, what do you want first in the morning? Do you want your bagel, do you want the coffee, or do you want the newspaper? And depending on what you pick first, the other two characters, their lives are going to change. It's going to be a different time in the city, and so on. And then once you've finished all three, the bagel vendor, Vinny, he's going to come back to Georgetown in 2023. And so it'll be a perspective on how your decisions playing through the game as the first three characters have changed the city and the lives of the people who live there, as well as the player character, too. That's our biggest challenge, I think, but it's also our biggest creative opportunity. Sure. Makes it, makes it all exciting. Wow. Uh, you know, Mike... Being a, so I'm more of the resident gamer here on the show, and uh, well, one of the great things about this game is that I got Mike's attention. He goes, "Dude, I actually really want to play that," and like you know, that, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> and so you know, I don't know what that says about Mike, but he wants mm -hmm. to he wants to play games that provoke him. I think in different mm -hmm. ways, right? Mm -hmm. So I just <clears throat> I want to talk about that with you. Like, what do you think? Why does it Why does it make you feel that ability? That hey, I want to play this. Well, I mean, also I I've, I've been a street vendor selling my art on the sidewalks and and you know getting eggs thrown at me by kids <laughs> and getting told no you can't sit up here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a struggle, but you're also so immersed in the community. Um, and then I don't know, just in the in the te in the the promo teaser, you know, there's a there's a a shot of the guy brushing his teeth and the water going down the drain and just those like mundane things that we do every day and it's black and white and that they're street vendors it made me think of Clerks which is you know a black and white movie you know and, and I've also worked a nine to five job where every day felt the same and so I get like the feel of it uh, resonated with me as, as someone like that but also I just love the whole 8-bit look, that look, you know, and, and what is it about that look that we love? It's just, is it the nostalgia mm. that, you know? I, I was thinking about this earlier today, and a part of it, I, I can't help but be a little suspicious of nostalgia because it's been, like, my nostalgia has been exploited, you know, by other products and stuff, to, in order to get me to give something a chance that otherwise I wouldn't, but I think... The reason that I chose that aesthetic originally was, you know, it's, it's beyond my ability to do so, but if I could, what I'd want to do would be to go back in time to a more, you know, the formative era in which I was first encountering video games myself as a, as a kid. I wish I could have played a game like Car Life then. And this is the kind of game that I wish I could place at that moment in history that would show me how to live as an adult. Mm. So it's almost like you're you're interbonding with your <clears throat> child. You know, you're making a game for the younger you 
that you needed at that time, which I think that's great. Yeah. That's pretty crazy, man. That makes you think of that movie Frequency. You guys ever watched that? I haven't seen it yet. No. Yeah, there's a movie that cause it has an idea where he's talking to his past through the ability of, of a frequent, you know, an old school radio. So, yeah, right? So that's kind of what you're doing through technology, <laughs> through video games, right? Uh, it ended up, I think in the end it ended up being more about others too. And I think that, you know, part of, I think, you know, your question about the 8-bit graphics, what is it about that that, that continues and persists like we've gone through so many other aesthetics in video games and elsewhere but the pixel stuff it, it survives and for me I think part of it is the the simplicity allows us to fill in the blanks in a similar way that you know like the book is always better than the movie because you have to use your imagination um, I think the pixel art sort of provokes the imagination in a similar way yeah I agree with that because I feel like you know, I think for the past what, a few years now, the pixel-generated games are being more popular again, right? And I think one of the big reasons is because it does get to provoke the imagination more, I think, than it used to, right? Like, I think now we're seeing, okay, we can do more with, you know, what is it, Uncanny Valley? Yeah. yeah that game's incredible, right? Like, it's what it did is absolutely incredible in storytelling, right? So it's just, I don't know, I just think uh, what you're saying is just you're hitting it perfectly onward. Imagination becomes endless now, I think. Uh, yeah, well, also, like, you can have the, the most explosions in the movie, but it doesn't mean the movie's going to be good. The movie usually sucks the more explosions there are, right? So it's the content and it's the story, the storytelling and, and, and how that navigates that really was what keeps something really rich and what keeps people wanting to play it, which also I think is, is an interesting thing that would keep people wanting to play it is you mentioned it, that there is no pause or saving, right? And so was that... Was that because it was easier to develop that way, or is that something that you were like, I want this just, while you're in it, you're in it, and when yeah. you're not, you're not? Much more the latter. Yeah. It, it, it is, it, it, it's way easier to develop with a save system, and it would be impossible to develop without using internal saves for ourselves in development, to use like debug functions to shortcut to different days and to different conditions. We have to have those save settings for ourselves in development in order to, to test specific you know, plot points, conversations, and so on. So without saves, we couldn't develop it. But also, yeah, uh, I, I think if you can pause it, I mean, it's also a kind of, it's a kind of control that we don't have in our own lives. And um, I think like the, the time pressure of the clock is something that we all face in reality. Uh, it's taking that away from players is, is sort of a I think for some people it's too far and I understand that but it's also something about which I'm, I'm not really willing to compromise because it's what makes the game itself it's, a, it's always the complaint that like I, I feel it you know it's like I hear it the most frequently but it's also it's the core of the whole thing I mean um, I always say the same stupid thing and it's like I, I know that the game is balanced well when the complaints are, are kind of harmonious, <laughs> where it's like, you know, it's too fast, you don't have enough time to meet people or to explore the city because you have to spend all your time at work. And then somebody else is like, this game is too hard, the clock is too fast, you don't have time to ever go to work because you, you, you spend your whole time meeting people and having conversations and exploring the city. And it's like, if these things are equally bitched about, then I know we've balanced it right, you know? Man, that almost sounds like life, huh? Sick. <laughs> it sounds like your life yeah. sometimes. <laughs> um, what's uh, what's really I think uh, just interesting about that uh, idea of like not pausing or not being able to pause, it's that concept of being present. Mm. You know, and I think uh, we talk about that a lot on the show. It's like we've you know, 
people tend to always forget about that concept like hey we need to be present right like when we're here hanging out whatever it is be present like let's enjoy that moment let's whether it's good or bad you know just take it in and you know all you can do is move forward right and mm-hmm. i think that you know not having a pause feature is probably i think one of the coolest things about a game like this with that concept right and hopefully you would agree with that yeah. I, I do too but i think it's also you know for some people it's it's never an unreasonable thing to for anybody to complain about it's like you know that they're giving our game a chance sure. i think that's special it's miraculous i don't want to be disrespectful of of a player's time and like yeah they've got a piss too it's not just their player character who's got to sleep and eat like the player does too i don't want to get in the way of that um but also an extended potty break might derail your character's entire life (laughs) you know if you if you if you hit the fridge on the way back from the bathroom maybe you won't be able to pay rent (laughs) That's disaster. You know, it's like, <laughs> it might be asking too much, and I get that. But also, uh, I don't know. I mean, you can always take another chance in this game, and that's a way that it differs from our lives, too. And I think I like that, that part of what makes games cool, I think, is that it's a safe environment to explore these drastic consequences. We're talking about things that are really, I think, for me, it depends on who's playing it, but for me, they're, it gets pretty sad. There's There's some grim consequences. There's some some boring stuff there's some frustrating stuff um and encountering those emotions in life i find for me it's it's easier and i and i find myself more in control when i can confront those emotions and those sensations in fiction and through art and especially through games wow Wow. uh we do gotta wrap up here but what i want to this conversation is incredible by the way uh do you have something to add real quick no? Uh, so, w- w- do we have a date for this game yet? No. Uh, yeah. 2023. Yeah, okay. this year. Okay. Here. And it's going to be available on? Uh, definitely PC, and yeah. we're figuring out what else we want. We definitely want to reach consoles. That was part of the part of the goal for this, was to get it mm-hmm. off of just keyboard and mouse. And awesome. It. We awesome. find it something this week. We didn't even show you the demo. Yes, about it right up front. Yeah. <laughs> we brought it on the Steam Deck, but we didn't get to show it. Uh, we could still, we still have a little time for that. You want to yeah. do that real quick? Yeah, now? Yeah. Oh. Let me just pause this audio real quick. Okay, so I've got the... Mike, Mike got the Steam Deck, he's still figuring that out. <laughs> I know, I feel like an old man. <laughs> okay, so Andrus is the guy? Yep. Mm-hmm. And winners don't use drugs. Good message. <laughs> Categorically untrue, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, IGF. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, yeah, so down here, okay. Oh, I see, here we go, begin game. Yeah, so Mike is gonna try to give a commentary while he plays this. Uh, we've done this a couple times where we'll play like certain games and he'll give commentaries. And so, we'll just keep with the theme. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I'm a uh, new topic unlocked, loyal. What does that say? Nobody, I don't know. Nobody what? So, so my guy's on a on a train. Um, attacks. The, well, I just like the soundtrack anyway. Okay, so Georgetown <laughs> 2013. So the train's pulling into Georgetown. Uh, was the is that Michael too for them? Yeah. Cool. 
Was any of this inspired by actual place, or was it just all like an actual actual Georgetown? Or? It's in, uh, I picked Georgetown is uh, it's the most common name for towns in the U.S. Uh, but it's also George is on the one dollar bill. All the location names in the city are related to money somehow. Mm. Um, but it's kind of a mix of let's say Eugene, Oregon, Seattle, Missoula, Montana, Portland, a little bit. Cool places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so I'm. Uh, it's like I'm talking to tall man. Um, you don't have to read the text. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. I want to hear the accent. <laughs> oh yeah, let's hear the accent. Oh, yeah. No, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> I don't want to cancel my own podcast. Audience? Tall person accent. Yeah. <laughs> See, the only accent I can do is a, a southern accent. Oh yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> no, you don't want me to offend anybody, do you? <laughs> but I like the kind of mono. I don't know if that's the right word for it. But while the characters are talking, it kind of reminds me of the Charlie Brown uh, teacher horn, which. All right, exchange names. Ask a question. Mike is like overwhelmed with You can also use the touchpad. It is a touchpad. Or, or like touch you can screen. use a touchscreen, I'm oh. sorry. Oh, it's need, a touchscreen? If you, if you need to select big buttons. Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. So Mike is playing a Steam Deck and, you know, these are fairly new, I would say. Not everybody has one, yeah, so they're yeah. pretty unfamiliar, I think, for, for some people, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of buttons. Yeah, there's a lot on there. For sure. Um, Do, is, there a, is there a retail price for this already or no? No. no? Okay, because I'm saying goodbye, and I'm going to venture away. There's a moral price. <laughs> Uh-oh. Smart. <laughs> price, it's priceless at this yeah. point, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so now I can buy a, a, a drink from a, from a soda, like a soda machine. Wait, nothing came out. It must be broken. Welcome to Georgetown. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, I'm moving. All right, so. So while uh, Mike is doing this, uh, Lucas, I'm curious, how does it feel to be a part of this project? Y- you wouldn't believe it. So 10 years ago, the first time I played this game, um, it was the first, like, independent game that I played at that point. Mm-hmm. And so... The I, I was 13 years old, um, so I'm 23 now. Um, <laughs> uh, when when Richard said go out and do it, I took it very literally, I guess, uh, maybe too literally because now I'm here. But um, you know, uh, it was unlike every other game that I had played because there's like standard conventions to make things easier, smoother, um, you know. Uh, but it's like this game compromised nothing for what it wanted to say and what it wanted to be and that awakened something within me you know and uh, uh, whether or not that was a good thing you know it's, it's up to Certainly others to decide thing. I guess so but yeah. I mean you could have been a doctor or a lawyer <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah but then then Boring. I played this game <laughs> yeah. yeah for real for real I was checking back with Mike Mike <laughs> so I just took a bus and now I'm about to go to a public house uh, Shawnee of Fagans yep yeah which, you know, one of my favorite places to go. Yeah. In Georgetown? 
I think uh, a bar, it's, we're still deciding about this part, but right now in this build, the bar and the pawn shop are off limits until you get the new stand and until you have a room, but then after that, they open up. Ah, uh, I see. That's fair. Now I'm talking to a man on, uh, he's on the side of the road. <laughs> oh, it's a stand. He's a, he has a stand. It is. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's. Does it make you want a steam deck? <laughs> how, many, yes. how many steam decks is Cart Life gonna sell? <laughs> you know? They should make a Cart Life steam deck edition. Oh, yeah. well, that's why this one's black and white. It's a special edition. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. I don't think we're ready to talk about our Valve partnership yet, just yet. <laughs> Not until they let us make the Steam page black and white. I'm still mad about that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a good call. That would be good. Call. That was my favorite feature of old YouTube, how you could make the background whatever you wanted, right. every yeah. color. Hmm. Yeah. That's why they took it away. It was really too powerful. People really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> too dangerous. Too dangerous, man. Mm. Speaking of too dangerous, Mike, how are you doing? Living dangerously. <laughs> oh, it's great. I mean, it, I, I do see how, like, this is you living life. <laughs> talking to the guy. Now I'm in the pawn shop. But just the amount of detail also that's in here is incredible. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I feel like each each scene that I'm in is, is kind of like a, not kind of, it's like it is a piece of art, you know, and there's stuff to look at and... and well, and every character in the world has their... One of the changes uh, these guys have made is every character in the world has their own sort of schedule and life. So all the NPCs are individuals with their own sort of preferences and things that they seek out and um, sort of, you know, like thresholds of what, you know, when you start selling stuff, like they're not going to pay for, you know, $2 for a newspaper, you know, but some people will. And it's like figuring out, like, what... How do you sort of dial in your... your sort of prices and stuff like that like it's a lot of little details in these characters who I think at first blush come off as like just some pixels but then as you get to know people and with every character in the game they you know you can exchange names and start to explore sort of a relationship um, so there's it is like part of what makes this game great is there's like a lot of depth behind something that looks very straightforward it is it, exactly it is there's very much in depth you know you I walk into the pawn shop it looks like I just go to the counter, but now I'm talking to the guy and, and I'm going through things that I can sell, it looks like, and how much money I have. It's very involved. Um. <laughs> and time's ticking away right now. You could be doing other things. and you're yes, just, right. You're just... I'm talking to the pawn shop man. <laughs> I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> uh, life is like that, though, right? Life is just about always like I, that. You know? I never appreciated what's great about playing on the Steam Deck or potentially something like a phone or a Switch in the future is that you can take it to the restroom. And so even good without point. pausing... Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. So... Uh, you know, I could listen to Mike play a game all day, but... Uh, <laughs> could you, though? <laughs> <laughs> I think I could. I think I could. Uh, thank you guys again so much. Uh, very excited to uh, just, uh, when that comes out, I would definitely be getting that myself. Um, you know, I, I big thank you just to all of you. Uh, and thank you for you, man. Your energy is very beautiful. I love the, the presence you give, so uh, Richard. Um, I'm nourished by, by both of you, and, and your open-mindedness is, is really appreciated. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it helps man. a game like this shine. I think, uh, you know, just that, you know, you're coming to it with an open mind and an open heart. Oh, totally. And I think that's, you know, anything in life, you just got to 
you got to come with it that way, man. Because if you don't, you don't get to know people that way. You don't get to live life, make mistakes, you know, or even have great memories, right? So that's how we feel, I guess. But uh, Mike, any last words before we wrap up? I mean, that's that's a lot from playing the <laughs> playing the game. But yes, it's true. I mean, you you approach it in that way. Uh, hey, I mean, now you did, and, and now your game's about to come out again, <laughs> and. Uh, on a much bigger scale, so congratulations. Thanks so much. Congratulations Thank indeed. You. And uh, just really quickly, where can our audience, uh, I guess, learn more about the game, connect with the game, all that stuff? Well, the best thing they can do for us is go to, to wishlist it on Steam. That's just everyone at this point knows that, especially when you're in indie, how important that is to, to getting eyeballs. And, and that's all we really are here to do this time is just to share it with as many folks as we can. So mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Please, wishlist this on Steam for sure. Mm -hmm. I think what we'll do is, too, is we'll add a link to it on our website. That'd be great. Right. Yeah, Thank so that you, way man. they can wishlist it as well on there. Uh, yeah. But any other ways, any social media or anything? Or? I think uh, Googling Cart Life will, will probably get you there. Awesome. <laughs> that's two, smart. Yeah, either, either two ways. Uh, two words or one, C-A-R-T, Cart Life. Um, that'll do it. Uh, otherwise, Ad Hoc LA is our partnership. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the Steam page wishlisting is going to make a difference for us. But yeah. either way, we'll have it ready for you soon. Awesome, awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, seriously. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Uncle Dan here with Mike. Mike, what's up, man? Well, I'm just still thinking about my experience. Yeah? Overall or the last conversation? Overall. <laughs> Hopefully he's talking about GDC, but yes. <laughs> um, Mike, uh, right now we're just kind of hanging out. We're gonna, we got another a very beautiful interview coming up, but I wanted to ask you, talking about games and being around the game culture, you know, we kind of we dived on this really quickly, but... You know, you were talking. We're talking about the future of games and what's happening in the world of gaming, and you're kind of you're kind of removed from it. You're kind of still there, but you're removed from it overall. What do you think when you hear about these games, these Cult of Lambs, these Stardew Valleys, these uh, you know Tiny Tina's Wonderland, you know those kind of things? You know, what does that make you think of? Like, is it just weird to know that gaming has changed so much? Or what is that like? Yeah, it's weird. That's a great <laughs> word for it. Um, well, you know, I guess like any any thing that you're very familiar with and then you kind of stop paying attention to it and then come back and, and it's changed a bunch I think it can be overwhelming to feel like I even can grasp it enough to get involved again you know it's 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 a lot to take in you know because like I, I saying at some point the last time <clears throat> the last time I was into gaming it was it was Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and Left 4 Dead which was a hundred years ago <laughs> you know and obviously things are very different yeah, you know, uh, I think one of the, it was interesting when I brought up the Cult of Lamb, or you brought up, or I think I brought up the Cult of Lamb, I read it, and then you were like, Cult, like it's a cult game. Like, what, what is so surprising about that? Well, I just think um, not so much that, and it's just the broad brush that games covers now, you know, like between that or like the game, we, you know, like Cart Life, like there's a game of you just being a person and setting up, you know, your life, I guess, in a way. And maybe those games already did exist. I just didn't play them. What's funny is they should do a Cart Life 2 Comic-Con edition where it's uh, you play as a character named Mike and you set up uh, your own little cart at the uh, con. What do you think? Yeah, like Cart Life, but it should be like Booth Life. Booth Life, there you go. That's the sequel, yeah. Yeah, Booth Life. That would be kind of funny, right? And then, like, <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> you play as Mike. Uh, Mike, uh, yeah. no. it's like how much money do you spend on printing your books? Do you bring prints or comics? 
or, or posters, or do you drink under the table, or do you go to the bathroom and do something else? Yeah, all the different things that happen at the booth. That's not, that's not according to Mike's life, let's be clear. No, I'm just saying in general, those are things that happen. Exactly, exactly. Booth life, booth life is crazy, man. Booth life is crazy. So, uh, we got uh, the, the tomorrow's the big day of the expo floor being open. Uh, we also have a big interview uh, with some big people tomorrow. I guess let's, the way I'm kind of thinking about it, what do you think, Mike? We'll just talk about this live on Mike. Uh, that this is the part one, and then we'll continue with part two, the big kickoff, and I'll announce what that kickoff is. Can I do that? Is that cool? Yeah, I, or you could tickle, tickle with a feather. No tickling with fellows here, because I want them to listen to part two. Uh, part two will feature Atari. We're, we're going to talk to an Atari game con console and, and say supportive, nurturing things to it and see what happens. He's, <laughs> the machine's going to be like, you guys didn't forget about me, did you? <laughs> yeah, we're going to be speaking with uh, some folks from Atari, uh, talk about an, uh, a newly launched, a newly, a newly announced game. Uh, that I can't say yet, but it's going to be so awesome when you hear about it. Mike, you're already aware about this game. Uh, just to kind of tickle them with a feather, if you will. What is, I mean, come on, you, you, even, you even seem pretty excited about this game. Yeah, it's going to be a cool game. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, the one thing I can say, it's a VR game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a VR game. And uh, it's pretty exciting what they're going to do for uh, Atari's collaboration with this VR game. So, yes, so... We're going to do one more, one more quick check, and then after that, that's the end of part one. Part one's been a full one, man. It's been a full one. Not a lot of interviews, but that's okay. It's not always about the quantity of interviews, but the quality of interviews. Would you agree with that? I feel like the conversations we've had have been pretty, a little, you know, little deeper than what you would imagine uh, a, a game developers conference conversation going. So, but also... Easy enough for anyone to listen to, even if they're not a huge gamer. There's still lots of uh, life beyond gaming in these talks we've had. Absolutely, as we do with our show, right? Uh, all right, everybody, we'll be right back after this. Oh, actually, actually, no, hold on. I got something to say real quick before I forget. Uh, Mike, you didn't say anything about my shirt. Oh, you mean the Roosevelt shirt? Yeah, my Roosevelt shirt, that's right. Uh, yes, you know here, Uncle Dad and Mike, we love Roosevelt's, and don't forget that you should love it too. So if you go to Roosevelt's.com, that's R-S-V-L-T-S.com, use promo code Uncle Dad, you'll get 20% off anything. A 20 twin twin. A 20 twin twin. <laughs> A 20 twin twin, yes. 20% uh, off anything, no limitations. Uh, as as when before this, or actually as I were, were ah, as we are recording, as we are recording, they just dropped a super dope '90s animated, uh, the X Men animated series collab. That that should uh, I hope they promo it with the '90s X Men animated series theme song because one of the best theme songs in animation ever. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, we actually did that once on the show. Remember, we all sang it. <laughs> Me, you, and unknown uncle. That's right, we did. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but okay, um, yeah, so go to roosevelts.com, R-S-V-L-T-S.com, use promo code Uncle Dad to get 20% off any of the shirts, any of the koozies, any of the shorts, uh, all that good stuff like that. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to love it. You're going to look good. You're going to feel good. It's for any man, any woman. It's for everyone. Roosevelts.com. All right, Uncle Dad here with Mike. Mike, say hello. Hi, Hello. Uh, very excited to speak to my fellow Latinx brother. Uh, excited to just talk about what, what they're doing. 
Uh, you know, and I, I'm just going to say it. I'm here with Joe Tirado. <laughs> you did it. You got it. You did, you did it right. I, dude, I have the worst anxiety with names. It, it, it's, it's, it's fun to watch him turn and twist every time, and then he'll usually just say the first person's name. And but He went for it with you, and I, I like that. I think you're feeling the, the, the brotherhood here. I, I, yeah. I, I tried to. I tried to. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, you know, what you're doing, who, what you represent, and what you're doing for Latinx gaming culture. Yeah, so Latinx and Gaming is a nonprofit. Actually, it started here at GDC about five years ago. Um, we were a special interest group under the IGDA, which is the International Game Developer Association. And so la within the last two years, we, we actually moved over, like not from just like a loosely organized group to an actual nonprofit that does work in the industry. And our main focus has been like getting people jobs and then also just advocating for people in the gaming industry in general. So. Yeah. Primarily, uh, is it primarily or only the Latinx community? It's all Latinx community, yeah. We, all the resources that we use are just focused on like Latinos and trying to bring them from Latin America, trying to promote people here, just like overall focusing on that community. That's amazing. I feel like we don't get enough of like Latinx developers at all, right? It's funny, we were interviewing somebody earlier who's doing the VR project, and uh, you know, I made a point to mention like, hey, thank you for being Latinx and doing this, right? And, and he was just so happy that I said that. Like, I just don't, I feel like gaming is for everyone, and we all need to be included, whether you're Latinx or whether you're, you know, you come from Asian descent, whatever it is, we all need to be included. And I love that there's a program trying to help them to do that. So what has been the biggest challenge in, in doing so? Honestly, the challenge has been perception. I think um, it's kind of crazy because a lot of game developers here, they're like, oh, how do I reach new audiences? And I'm like, there's 326 million gamers in South America, right? And they, they play games on their phones, they play games on consoles, and people aren't catering to them. They're not, even, they're not even thinking about that audience. Or if they are, it's kind of like a secondary thing. And so I, I think it's us kind of focusing on making sure that the people who need to get promoted within those companies actually understand that and, and they can actually spread that to the rest of the people they work with. But then also just like having more people of Latinx descent in those uh, studio positions. So, you know, that's been our main focus. No, I have a question. I, I know, but just so our listeners who don't know can know, when you say Latin X, what is the X representation? So we get this question a lot. Our so our thing our thing with this is like uh, we're not we're not trying to change language at all. We're not trying to like police anyone or word police anyone. But also from our perspective, we want to make sure that like we're being inclusive to like lots of different people. So for using the term Latinx, whenever we use it, because I'll use it interchangeably. I'll say Latino. I'll say Latinx. I'll say Latine. There's a couple names. It's mostly just to say like, hey, we're inclusive of all genders like identity of, of any, anyone that like is in this industry. So it's not really a term to replace anything. It's just more of a thing that we use to kind of say like, hey, this is where we stand on this kind of subject. So I love that. I think it's funny because it's, it's, there are some people out there, man, who they will strike you down if you don't say Latinx or, you know, Latin, Latina or Latino, right? Like it's so, so for you to say that, I think that's great because it's, it's, it shows that point of just being inclusive, right? Yeah, it's I. I really, you know, I, I think of myself as a pretty like progressive-minded person, but I also don't think that it's helpful to be policing other people's language, right? Or be telling people that like they're wrong for not saying a thing. If you're saying it in bad faith, that's one thing, right? If you're if you're trying to exclude people with your language, that's one thing. But like, I, no one's gonna. No one in our group is going to be telling people that they're using the wrong words, especially because like language, it, it grows over time, it changes, it adapts. And so for us, it's just a matter of saying like, hey, there's a plenty of Latin, Latin American developers who don't use it, and I'm not going to go to them and tell them that they're wrong. Like, you know, they're from La they're from Latin America. So I think it's just a, it's we're trying to like 
let people know that this is not a, a holier-than-thou type situation. It's really just more of like a, an evolution of the word in order to have people feel more included. So. I love that. Now, let me ask you this. Do you feel that uh, there's not enough Latin representation in like actual playable characters as well in gaming? Yeah, actually. So I'm doing a talk on Friday, and it's actually the history of Latinx characters in video games. And it's pretty short history. <laughs> you know? um, I, the joke I make is I, I'm, I'm going to probably start like a literal timer and just be like, I can run through the whole history in like 20 minutes, basically. Um, and I'm kind of speeding through it, but like the idea is there, most characters in video games, they're either... They're not playable at all. They're they're sort of just like cannon fodder that's on the end of your gun kind of thing. Or they're 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 tokens, right? They're just like something that they're adding in to have a little bit of variety, but they're not really digging any deeper than that. So it's first of all getting those characters in the games, but then the second layer of like making them feel authentic and like real, which is hard. Yeah, what's uh just so some of, if you want to give us like a couple examples, what are some like highlights of notable uh, Latin characters? So the I, after doing a, like a, a lot of research, the first like actual playable character, or, or like character that you face in the game, but like has their own agency, is actually um, Piston Hurricane from Punch Out. So it, they changed him to Piston Honda on like the Super Nintendo version, but the original version is actually he's a Cuban like Afro Latino who like you know they don't lead into any weird tropes. Like his last name's Hurricane because of hurricanes or whatever, but like the rest of his pretty chill like he's, he's actually like a normal character that you fight there's no like weird stuff and then of, un of course unfortunately they change him to piston honda who's like the most like orientalized character in like a video game it's so goofy um so there's him obviously and then there's like there's a couple in between there i think dom from gears of war is another big one that like and that's one of my favorites because actually like it's not really about his culture like he just happens to be a latino who like is a main part of the story right so there's there's characters like that but then like nowadays like you have miles morales like who he's puerto rican and the same thing right like obviously his puerto rican identity is part of his like character but it's not everything about it right he's also spider-man you know he's also like this loved character and so i think there's there's a couple good examples but there's also like way more really bad ones throughout the year so yeah i was saying it's like it shouldn't be that it, that it is just specifically about where you're from and what the culture just hey here's this character doesn't matter where they're from and that's just that's just them in the game not let's let's fit the game to to make it about that right so it's just normalized it's just normal right yeah i think most most latino characters are even if you think about ourselves right like i am colombian and puerto rican but that's like not all that i am i'm also many other things and so i think that's like pretty authentic to most people's actual experience where like yeah they're from a place but in the same way that like you wouldn't call a person from germany and be like oh they only do this or they only like this like there are so many varieties and there's so many different things about your own personal self that it's it's i'm glad that some games are actually injecting that into what they're actually building for their characters yeah, especially like uh, games like overwatch right it's so diverse like say what you will about activision blizzard sure but the game itself is so diverse i mean it really is right like you have so many just gender types so many you know even not even real genders just like you just it's insane right and i think that's a great step forward to showing diversity in, in the gaming universe right what is uh, something that you want to see in the next uh five years um i think the biggest thing for me is I actually think there's a lot of lore that comes from South America that's really cool. And not a lot of people are really diving into that. So, like, a lot of people in the past, you know, you hear games about, like, Greek gods or you hear games about, like, American folklore and stuff like that. And there's, like, 
thousands of years of like really cool lore from South America from like Aztecs and the Mayans and like no one's really diving into that stuff um, you saw a little bit of that in like the most recent Black Panther movie where they like kind of got into it a little bit but like I feel like there's so much there and even if like obviously you'd love to see this come from Latin American developers but like I think I feel like there's a lot of other developers who could like get some people from South America who can actually help them build games that like dive into that lore that's like so untapped right now. It's actually pretty crazy. It's like imagine like, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because like, when you think about the retelling of the new God of War, right? Imagine if you retold that again, but through the Aztec or you know mine, that would fit so perfectly, right? Exactly, and it's and it's the Norse thing is a big one right now, right? Like that's that's come up in many games, and I feel like not a lot of people are really thinking about some of those other lesser used cultures. And I think there's just such a rich tapestry there of like really cool stuff that like one of my favorite games that came out somewhat recently on Nintendo Switch called Aztec. Uh, yeah, yeah. So like that game, really cool. It's like a, so, sort of like a cyberpunk future. It's like imagine if like. Aztec culture like won out and like ended up like becoming a technological thing and like that's such a cool idea um, and you just want to see more of that honestly I think it's just like a really cool way to like expose people to like different things that are not just the tropes you hear about from South America all the time. Do you think that there's been like just a lack of like is it the chicken or the egg is it the lack of representation of those of Latinx characters in games or is there that there's not a lot of Latinx developers to put it in there so that there's not a bunch of like other people appropriating the culture, you know, like what are your thoughts on that? I think I think it probably starts with people. I think like if you have like I one thing that I we talk to a lot of developers about they're like, "Hey, we want to put a character in our game, but like we don't know where to start with that." Or like they they get nervous about that kind of thing. They're like, "We don't want to be inauthentic." And it's like, "Well, yeah, you should find some people from the actual place you're talking about to like actually help you make that feel real." Um, we just talked to people from The Sims at EA. And they did this whole pack of like uh, content that's basically about like Latinos, and it's like all this like, and they actually like went into their internal organization and like found all their Latinos and like asked them if they wanted to contribute ideas, and then they took those ideas and they bounced them off the dev team to see what actually could work. And I feel like having people actually at the studio who can help advocate for those ideas, I think, really helps push that stuff forward. Because otherwise, it's it's kind of this like I I think it is kind of the chicken or egg problem where you're just kind of like I don't. Where do we even start with this kind of thing? So, now before we wrap up, I want to ask you, and I'll tell you mine. I don't know. If, I don't think he has one, but that's okay if he doesn't. Uh, what is your favorite game that is Latin oriented? I guess. Wow. Um. Dang. I I really like. Obviously, we talked about Miles Morales. That's such a good one. But like, I think as far as like actually focus on the, all the culture, um, there's this amazing uh, Mexican game studio. They're called Lienzo, and they made this game called Mulaka. And the Mulaka game, it's such a cool game. It like touches on like a very specific native culture from Mexico. That's like, and they talk about that very specific culture, which is like in the same way that there's like different tribes of like Native Americans from like Northern America. Same thing in South America. And so they like delve really deep into one. Um, and it's just a cool game. It's just like really fun. I, the art style is really cool too. So I, I definitely like that one. So for mine, and you know, I will be honest, it's not made by a. A Latin team. It's a Japanese team, and I think the voice actor is 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 white as well. Unfortunately, making the accent, but uh, the game is still great, and does a lot of great uh, talk about the culture, especially about the Day of the Dead and stuff. It's uh, Shadows of the Damned. I'm sure you played that, right? Yeah. What's your thoughts on that game? I think it's really cool. I, there is that, that like thing that you were talking about too, which is like, wait, who made this game? Yeah. But like, it is awesome. I think uh, another similar one is like Guacamelee, which is one that came out a couple years, where it's like, you know, there is some authentic stuff there, but you know. 
So I think, I think yeah, there's, there's a lot of them, honestly. There's some really fun ones out there. Do you have one, Mike? Well, <laughs> I haven't played a lot of games. <laughs> um, but the one that you mentioned, Aztec, just the storyline of that, I always thought it would be, just separate from the game, thought it would be amazing to see what would happen if that, if that culture just kept going and kept advancing because they were so far advanced in their own time, right? So I would, I would like to play that game. Okay. There you go. You, just, you sold it to them. There you go. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. But before we wrap up, where can our audience connect with you, learn more about this, or be involved in any way? Okay, so you can find us uh, at Latinos and Gaming basically everywhere online or Latinx and Gaming uh, or just latinxandgaming.com. Yeah, that's it. Nice and easy. Thank you so much, Joe. Absolute pleasure. Nice meeting you. All right. The end of day one is here. Mike, tell me about how you're feeling. Tell me about your thoughts. And we'll talk about what we just did in a second. Um, yeah, I feel like today at GDC, you know, if we're going to compare it to our last, um, our last time here, I feel like the conversations we had went a little bit deeper, like deeper below the below the digital surface, if you will, right? You know, so where we still talked about the games and development and, and, and what we were playing, but we also talked about like behind that. And I felt like the, the, the connections that we made on this, on this trip were a little more, I don't know, just deeper as far as like purpose and meaning. Yeah, I you know I 100% agree with that. I mean, I think like when you listen to back to them, like they weren't just as simple as so last year. And not to take away anything from last year and the people that we spoke to last year, but it was more about like, hey, you know, this is my game, blah 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 blah. Check it out. This this it does this, it does that. That's it, right? Where this time it was like, this is my game, but this is the deeper meaning. You know what I mean? Or this is kind of where I was at, you know. And uh, and we talked to a you know a, basically an activist group in the beginning. We talked to somebody who disappeared for 10 years, basically, and came back to make a game. We talked to somebody who, which I'm going to throw this out there, we didn't realize this at this time, but we found out he's a he's technically a celebrity developer. He created, or not created, but he works on one of the biggest games, which I'm not going to say because he didn't give us permission for that. But seriously, like... It's, I'm sure if you Google his name, you'll find it. But yes, it's, a, it's just crazy, right? Like it was more deeper than that. Well, and, and what that guy was actually, what we were actually talking to him about wasn't that he worked on this big time game. It was what he's doing when he's not at his regular job working on a big time game. And that was the, the Latinx part and about representation of a marginalized group of people, especially in this world that, you know, the GDC world that we're in and, and having them show up. And having that group of people show up in, in this in this realm, so yeah, um, I just feel like overall very enriching uh, conversations that went a little deeper than you would think at a game developers conference. Absolutely. Now, what me and Mike just came back from, uh, we came from the Orbit after party, which is O O R B I T Orbit, and it is a uh, is a streaming service that's currently in the funding series, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to create. Um, basically a Netflix, if you will, for the world of independent gaming, but not just independent gaming. Mike, do you want to mention really quickly what he kind of talked to you about, about how it's more than just gaming? Yeah, I think it, it was more just like, say you buy something, uh, you could buy, you could go to a store and buy a pair. A virtual store. A virtual store. And 
let's say, for instance, buy a pair of shoes or buy a hat of all things, <laughs> right? And you, so you could buy the physical object, but you also get a digital version of this object that you could take with you and bring into other digital realms. Yeah, and it's crazy because it's not like the concept of, a, of an NFT, right? It was like, hey, if Nike had a digital storefront, you could go to that digital storefront, buy your pair of Nikes, right? And then your character, assuming the developers would allow it, of course, would have those Nikes in his inventory. So he could use them, but the greatest part is that you physically have those Nikes as well. Kind of going back to your hat thing, right? Like, I think that concept is so in my opinion, definitely more tangible than an NFT and definitely more interesting, in my opinion, more interesting than an NFT. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think so because a lot of, a lot of and, and not all NFTs, but a lot of them are just, yeah, you buy something and it, it exists on the blockchain and it's this piece and it lives in a digital space somewhere. As to where with this, you actually get a physical piece that you have a digital representation of. So it's both. Uh, so it's in the, the real universe and the meta universe. Yeah, and we got to speak to the developer behind it. Uh, his name is Sam, and a uh, great guy. And he kind of gave me an in-depth thing. Now, I will tell you, and I, and I did tell him this, uh, three of the games didn't launch. <laughs> Uh, he tried and tried. They just wouldn't launch. Um, and I go, well, what's the issue with that? He, he says it's because the internet there, which could be true because we were at this older, like a warehouse type thing, right? Would you agree with that? Like a warehouse area? Yeah, one of these old warehouse, who knows what it was before that's been converted into a social gathering space. And, and sure, it's old and the walls are thick and probably full of lead paint. <laughs> right. So, you know, he wasn't able to get the right signal. But what's interesting is that you don't need a PC you know, he, he said you could literally use anything. As long as it has a browser, as long as it has the ability to stream something, you can do it. And eventually, you'll be able to even do it in VR. So if you wanted to join, let's say, a his, his greatest example was if you wanted to join a VR fashion show and there was something that you liked there, you could look at that item and select it and buy it right there and it would be shipped to you. Like that to me is insane it's a game changer wouldn't you agree it's kind of like the home shopping network and amazon mixed together and thrown into a game or vr or whatever metaverse Meta metaverse <laughs> yes yeah it's like all those things in one so it is exciting of course i mean that's just i feel like we're on the the just the very tip of the iceberg of of, of what's to come of that you know? yeah just a tip uh, <laughs> what's exciting though uh was that we had a great time we got to speak to some really great people. Um, we uh, met some new people, and hopefully we'll get to interview them this week. Uh, but it was just a great time, and it was at this place in San Francisco called The Box. So if you're ever looking for a venue, it's a pretty decent enough venue. Uh, nice, has a good little aesthetic to it. It's called The Box SF. Uh, definitely go check it out if you're looking for a venue. Uh, but yeah, Orbit, it was in it. Yeah, so you just go to Orbit.com. That's O-O-R-B-I-T.com. Check them out. They're currently looking for more funding. So if you're interested in funding them, please go check them out. I do believe the idea of carrying your own, and I should have mentioned this and I forgot to, is that let's say you're playing some game that is like a dungeon crawler and then you get a sword and this sword is so badass. You get to keep that sword in your inventory, but the best part is that sword stays in your, like let's say your quote unquote digital physical tote bag. So when you play a different game that has nothing to do with that, that sword still exists. Now, that as a gamer 
It's a fucking game changer, man. Let me tell you, Mike. That's a game changer. What's your favorite kind of sword? Uh, katana. Okay. <laughs> pretty, pretty straightforward, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm just surprised you actually had an answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So check them out. We really appreciate that. That's o o r b i t dot com. Now, Mike. Day one is over. Now, technically, I say day one, but really, it's day two. Uh, tomorrow is the big day. Kicks off the expo floor. We're going to check it out. We're going to have an interview with Atari. we got some other great interviews lined up. And uh, Mike, just, you know, I know you're a big, I don't know if you're necessarily a big VR guy, but I know you're a big experienced guy. Are you excited to see what experience you make it into? I'm always excited to see your experience I can get into. Let me tell you. <laughs> you know what's funny, man? I don't know of a better way to end the show, really. Uh, so, yeah, so go check them out. And before I forget, guys, remember, go check out Roosevelt's.com. That's R-S-V-L-T-S.com. Use promo code Uncle Dad to get the dopest shirts, the dopest button-ups for 20% off by using promo code Uncle Dad. I, I just want to say, also, while we were out and about doing our thing, <laughs> Several people commented on your shirt. Not on my shirt. I mean, they said we were both colorful, but they definitely commented on your shirt before me, and I'm not wearing Roosevelt's today. You're handling that, uh, that weight today? Very lightweight uh, yes. shirt. Yes. Uh, but anyways, yes, people were definitely... You were turning heads. Yeah. And you can too, right, Mike? They can too. Everyone can. So all you got to do is go to Roosevelt's.com, R-S-V-L-T-S.com. Use the promo code Uncle Dad for 20% off. And, dude, they just did a fucking 90s animated series drop of X-Men. They're so cool. <coughs> and if you're a fan of uh, wrestling, they just, for March 16th, 316, they did a Stone Cold Steve Austin day, and they made a bunch of dope-ass shirts, which one of them is a replica button-up of the little vest he wore. It's so dope, man. <laughs> so go check it out. Uh, Roosevelt's.com, R-S-V-L-O-T-S.com, promo code Uncle Dad. And of course, we appreciate it. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Uncle Dad Talks and, uh, and Mike Hampton Art, of course, on Instagram. And last but not least, hey, if you like what you're listening to, be sure to listen to, to rate us five-star subscribe. We appreciate it. Uh, it helps us keep the show going. And boy, this year, Mike, per our conversations, we got some big shit coming up. We're going. We're going, man. We're gonna we're gonna do as much as we can this year to bring you, the listener, the best content around. Would you agree with that, Mike? I mean, we're trying. You know, <laughs> we're, we're doing what we can. So all you have to do is listen. We're doing all the hard work and rate five stars and rate. <laughs> all right, everybody. We'll see you all next week with part two of the GDC coverage.